Hello, this is Chris. Welcome you to edition 2373 of the Enfield Talking newspaper. Dateline, 25th of January, 2024. Burns Night. The readers this week are Jackie, Chris and Angela. With Ian on the controls. Editing, production and distribution is by the team. Our title music is Country Rock Polka, composed by Pat Prilly, Ferdinand Roulion, Harry Brewer. It is performed by Jean-Jacques Perry and is used with his kind permission. The local news stories that we will be reading from come from the Enfield Independent and the Enfield Dispatch and are their copyright. For the week beginning 29th January, the sunrise time is 0741 and the sunset time is 1645. We also have a special notice from Enfield Vision, who are a group of visually impaired people determined to improve the environment and to reduce everyday problems of blind and partially sighted people. They are registered with the Charity Commission as an organisation with the specific aim of promoting the well-being of visually impaired people living in Enfield. They hold a drop-in morning on the third Thursday in each month from 10am to 1pm at Park Avenue Resource Centre, Bushill Park, Enfield. And their exercise classes are now running again. So run fast to them. The dates for the next two meetings are Thursday, 15th of February, 2024 and Thursday, 21st of March, 2024. Do get in touch with us to share your own news and special announcements. We would so love to hear from you. Or indeed, if you would like to read with us. If you have any comments about the Enfield Talking newspaper, please phone Diane de Jersey on 07899-854582. She is your listener's representative and will be pleased to help you. That's 07899-854582. I am now going to read you the lead story. Fire Chief warns budget cuts could hamper efforts to stamp out racism and sexism. London's Fire Chief has warned that the brigade's process in stamping out misogyny and racism among its staff could be slowed down if its funding is stretched in the year ahead. Fire Commissioner Andy Rowe said that if forced to make difficult financial choices this year, he would potentially have to make savings from the programmes set up to address the brigade's cultural problems. He vowed, however, to protect the capital's fire stations from closures, saying that would be an irresponsible course of action, given the growing number of emerging risks in London, such as wildfires, flooding and the impact of climate change. 
The issues of institutional misogyny and racism within the brigade were outlined in a November 2022 report by Nazir Afsal, former Chief Crown Prosecutor for the North West. The review included accounts ranging from women being groped to firefighters having their helmets filled with urine. Rowe recently told London Assembly members that he was committed to a culture change within the LFB and was working to create an inclusive workplace, including through improved training of officers and the creation of an external complaint service. But at a Monday meeting of the Assembly's Budget and Public Committee... Commissioner warned that tight finances could mean less funding for those improvements. He said this would depend on how much of the brigade's budget has to be devoted to increase pay for staff, with the increase decided at a national level following complex negotiations with the Fire Brigade's union. In the event that a higher-than-expected increase is agreed this year, Rowe said the brigade would likely be forced to slow down or stop some of its investment activity. He added, It might be about slowing down some of the changes to training. It might be looking about the level of investment we're putting into change around culture, for example. So not things that we particularly want to do, but we could reasonably phase, as long as we understand the risk. And that may well be the approach we need to take in order to ensure we meet our obligations in terms of managing the finances of the London Fire Brigade appropriately. He pledged, though, that he would not look to find easy answers in the search for savings by removing fire engines or closing fire stations. Where we would not seek to find those savings is within the overall makeup of our operational estate and numbers, he said. Because I think we're in a position with emerging risk, and what we're seeing particularly around the built environment, and then with respect to climate, where it would be injudicious of me as Commissioner to suggest that there might be some easy answers by closing fire stations or removing appliances. I am not of that mind. I think they have to be safeguarded at all costs. We do a quarter of all fire and rescue service calls in the UK on a daily basis, over 210,000 a year. We hold all the risk in pretty much every metric in comparison to other force areas across the country. We are very different. Earlier in the meeting, Rowe referred to the flooding seen in Hackney Wick last week as an example of the emerging risks the brigade is seeking to tackle. Baroness Fiona Tricross, London's Deputy Mayor for Fire and Resilience, told committee members that the national negotiations over firefighter pay would not necessarily have concluded by the end of the Mayor's budget-setting process in a few weeks' time. The firefighter pay year is from 1st of July. 
so we don't have a history of this being agreed neatly within the budgetary process, she said. Hi, hello, my name is Jackie, and the first article I'm going to read you is entitled Green Spaces to be Opened Up After Lottery Grant Awarded. Money from the National Lottery is being ploughed into projects to get people in towns more connected with nature and have better access to the countryside. They include four major London schemes at the historic Highgate Cemetery and Broomfield Park in North London, a green chain of ponds along the south bank of Lambeth to Bexley, and open, opening public access to the Roding River in East London. Enfield Council is earmarked to get £3.7 million to establish Southgate's Broomfield Park as a flagship open place to inspire sustainable living with opportunities for communities to take part in its upkeep. The Friends of Highgate Cemetery Trust get 106000 towards a £6.7 million grant to conserve heritage, promote biodiversity and improve public access to this Grade 1 registered site. The historic burial grounds in Swains Lane in Highgate Village, where Karl Marx is famously buried, continues as working cemetery while remaining as a sanctuary for the public to connect with nature and reflect on life for generations to come. Another project is the New London Blue Chain along the South Bank. Frog Life Wildlife Charity gets 573000 to restore freshwater habitats that encourages sustained growth of amphibian and reptile populations across South London. The new chain of 100 ponds will run along the historic 52-mile London Green Chain walking route, linking open spaces in Lambeth, Southwark, Bermondsey, Greenwich, Woolwich and out to Bexley. This creates wildlife corridors in housing estates, schools and allotments, with volunteering workshops and even festivals in the pipeline. The Roding Rises project is set to get £1.5 to connect areas along the banks of the Roding River. It also opens the Essex countryside to communities in Clay Hall, Woodford, Redbridge, Ilford, Manor Park, Eastham, Barking and Beckton, while encouraging them to help restore this neglected river. The Heritage Fund has awarded £2 billion since 1994 to 4,700 4, nature schemes, thanks to National Lottery players whose money is helping the conservation of Britain's unique landscapes and biodiversity. Hello, my name's Angela, and this story is about a furious row over the fate of Enfield's green spaces. The debate at Enfield Civic Centre came after councillors were moved to another room because of disruption caused by protesters in the public gallery. Labour and Conservative councillors clashed in a bad-tempered debate over the future of Enfield's green spaces, while also disagreeing on the merits of golf. At a full council meeting last night, Wednesday the 24th, the opposition Tory group presented a four-page paper which laid out what they claim are the many and varied threats to open spaces across the borough but faced an angry riposte from Labour's deputy leader, who said the Conservatives had misinterpreted council plans and were playing down the need for new homes. 
Before the debate began, however, all 63 councillors were forced to move to a different meeting room at Enfield Civic Centre because of disruption caused by pro-Palestine protesters. After several councillors began the meeting by paying tribute to former long-serving Labour councillor Del Goddard, as well as former mayoress Sylvia Jackson, who both recently died, around 25 demonstrators sat in the public gallery overlooking the chamber, interjected to demand time to discuss the ongoing war in the Middle East. When this request was refused the protesters began chanting slogans including Cease Fire Now and Shame On You, with much of the anger being directed at the Labour Party for not backing recent ceasefire calls. They also unfurled a Palestinian flag from the gallery. Members of the public are not allowed to speak at council meetings unless invited to do so. As it became clear the disruption would continue regardless, Enfield Mayor Suna Herman led councillors to another room. The dispatch was allowed to continue covering the meeting as it recommenced elsewhere. As the meeting restarted, Councillor Herman read a statement addressing the ongoing conflict in Gaza. She said, I look forward to everyone living in safety and security and enjoying equal rights fundamental freedoms and democracy. Tory councillor Julian Sampson then introduced the opposition's paper on protecting Enfield's green spaces, which lists threats to Brimsdown Sports Ground, St Anne's School playing fields in Enfield Town, Kenninghall Open Space and Church Street Recreation Ground, both in Edmonton, as well as woodland surrounding Sainsbury's in Winchmore Hill and open spaces at a number of council estates. Referring to the allocation in the council's draft local plan for a cemetery to be created on a four-hectare area of Church Street Wreck, Councillor Sampson said there won't be much recreation going on there if it becomes a crematorium. He claimed that because of its financial pressures, the council was being forced to generate £7.5 million per year over the next five years and £10 million beyond that from asset sales, which would mean the very fabric of the borough being sold off to private firms, with many other local sports and leisure facilities also coming under threat. Referring to Cabinet Member for Finance, Tim Lever, Councillor Sampson added, I know he is a sensitive soul and it would grieve him to sell these assets. But if a Section 114, Effective Bankruptcy, notice did arise, the administrators would have no such scruples. These assets should not be sold. They are assets for the whole community. As well as Church Street Rex crematorium allocation, Enfield Council's draft local plan allocates 225 homes to Brimsdown Sports Ground, which has been fenced off and disused for several years, as well as 368 homes to woodlands surrounding Sainsbury's in Winchmore Hill. But Labour councillors still disputed many of the threats to green spaces listed by the Conservatives. They denied there were any plans for housing at Kenninghall Open Space, 
which fa falls with the Meridian. I'm sorry, which falls with the Meridian Water Regeneration Zone, but is not allocated any housing in the local plan, as well as the possibility of new homes being built on the playing fields at St Anne's Catholic School although part of the school is allocated for housing in the local plan, the playing fields fall outside the area outlined. Deputy Council Leader Ergin Erbil said, The opposition business paper has either intentionally or unintentionally misinterpreted the local plan. We are unwavering in our commitment to new green spaces in Enfield. We are the greenest and most eco-conscious administration in the Enfield's history. A debate around the merits of golf later ensued, as the Conservatives accused Labour of launching an attack on the sport in the borough. White Webb's Park Golf Course has already been shut down and is now set to become a women's football academy for Tottenham Hotspur, with artificial pitches while the council has included Cruise Hill Golf Course in its plans for nearly 10,000 homes to be built on the borough's greenbelt. Councillor Sampson warned, if you let these go, you will open the floodgates to all the leisure facilities in the borough. Ridgeway Councillor Andrew Thorpe added, this councillor has a blue and green strategy, but they should rename it the blue and grey strategy after the colour of concrete. While some Tory councillors claimed golf courses offered wider environmental and wildlife benefits beyond being used for recreation, Councillor Erbil shot back, I am a hobby beekeeper and let me tell you, my bees prefer wildflower meadows to golf courses. On the inclusion in the latest draft local plan of 9,651 homes on existing Greenbelt land, after the original draft proposed 6,430, the Tory group's housing spokesman, housing spokesperson Lee Chamberlain said, the local plan is asking us to make a false choice between green spaces and new homes. This is a heavily greenwashed plan that wants to see many chunks of green going grey and it ignores the vast bulk of residents responding to the consultation who opposed building on green belt. Labour councillor Joss Aby responded they would do well to actually read what they are attacking next time. Residents of my generation struggle to even imagine owning a home in the place where they grew up. Using their majority in the chamber, Labour councillors subsequently voted down the Tory group's opposition paper. The draft local plan is set to be further debated by councillors in March before undergoing a final six-week public consultation and then a review by an independent planning inspector. Thank you. Tributes paid to Enfield Ignatians. I'm going to say that again. Tributes paid to Enfield Ignatians rugby player after his death, aged 24. A dark shadow hangs over Enfield Ignatians RFC after Lucas Yoxall, one of the team's brightest young talents, unexpectedly passed away on Thursday, the 4th of January.
his untimely death comes as a huge shock to all concerned, particularly as the 24-year-old's best playing days were still ahead of him. A graduate of the club's youth system, he showed infinite promise as a youngster, having been part of the vintage under-15 side in 2014, nine of whose members went on to represent the club at first-team level. Lucas continued his rise up the ranks at senior level and his Players' Player of the Year accolade at second-team level served notice that his elevation to first-team rugby was only a matter of time. The breakthrough came in the COVID-19 ravaged season of 2019-20 when he claimed his first try at first-team level against Kilburn Cosmos on his second appearance and as part of a squad which eventually gained promotion to the former London 2 Northwest League. He enjoyed a particularly fruitful 2021-22 season which yielded eight league tries for the talented loose forward occasional three-quarter, with the highlight being a memorable hat-trick in the 29-14 win over Hackney. The 22-23 season proved a more trying one for the club, but Lucas still managed to cross the whitewash five times. Lucas got on the score sheet in the 53-39 win against Hampstead in September 2023, but we could never have imagined that his appearance in the 15-9 loss against Hackney at Spring Hill on 9th of December would be his last for a club which he loved. A qualified electrician and former Highland school pupil, the popular Lucas was a very dedicated and passionate rugby player who went the extra mile by blending gym work and park runs. It paid off as he developed into a force of nature, having supplemented his ability to break the gain line by becoming a very effective tackler and the unleashing of his trademark hits was a sight to behold. Ignatian's head coach Jack Wilson said of this popular figure, Lucas was not only an exceptional rugby player but also a kind soul and he was always a pleasure to be around. He will be sorely missed by everyone and on behalf of everyone at the club I would like to extend our condolences to his father Mark and all his family. Rug seller Mr G laundered money. A rug seller known as Mr G secretly laundered money for small boat people smugglers. Ashgar Geshaligan, 48 of Wakefield Street, East Ham acted as a middleman between migrants and the criminal gangs who risked people's lives in smuggling operations. His unregistered money services business operated from an office in Wood Green. Geshalgian accepted payments from migrants or their families, then released it to the gangs when the journey to the UK was complete. He charged a commission for his services. To cover up to cover up his dodgy dealings, he also ran a rug company. Geshalgian was arrested in February 2021 
based on a wealth of evidence built up during a two-year investigation. Phone evidence showed links with at least eight Iranian migrants who later arrived in the UK by boat or lorry and claimed asylum. National Crime Agency, NCA, officers also secretly recorded phone conversations in which he admitted 70 to 80% of our business is illegal. He also bragged that smuggling gangs trusted him. They approve me. They know I won't cheat on them. Once the task is completed, money, he said. Following his arrest, officers searched his business premises, a storage lockup, and his home. They seized around 50,000 in cash. Financial investigators also found evidence of around 1.6 million in payments into his bank accounts. Following a two week trial at Southwark Crown Court, Geshalgian was found guilty of five counts of money laundering and facilitating illegal immigration. He will be sentenced today. NCA branch commander Mark Howes said, By his own admission, Ashgar Geshalgian was trusted by organised crime gangs to handle their payments and launder the money they made through organising dangerous channel boat and lorry crossings. In doing so, he enabled their criminality and happily took a cut from the profits they made from it. Crossing the channel legally in boats or lorries is extremely dangerous. This is why disrupting and dismantling the gangs involved in organised immigration crime is a priority for the NCA. Targeting their financial flows through agents like Geshalgian is just one of the ways we are doing that. Always a friendly greeting at this Greek gastro delight. Neil Littman enjoys eating out at a unique restaurant in Green Lanes. Sometimes good places to eat are almost on your doorstep, but you don't immediately notice them. I've lived in Winchmore Hill for nearly 10 years and passed by Baninondas in Green Lanes many times on the bus or on foot, but hadn't gone in until recently. I finally visited Baninondas on a Sunday evening, walking there by way of the New River. From the outside, it looks unlike other restaurants in the area and is best described as classic taverna. My housemate tells me there are lots of places like this in Cyprus. I remarked to my dining companion, it was like being in a time warp. What did impress me was the welcome. A few restaurants made a, make a gesture, effort, to welcome diners beyond asking, have you booked? But the greeting at Babinondas made us smile when the owner shook our hands and said, nice to see you again, despite having never met us before. <coughs> On the second visit, a few days later, he said the same again, only this time it was true. We ordered the mini Metzi, a bargain at 17.95 and a good way to taste a bit of everything they had on offer. The menu offers traditional Greek Cypriot dishes with approximately seven starters, including hummus, taramosolata, tzatziki and various salads, followed by a hot extra starter of vegetarian fritters and a deep-fried mushrooms. It turned out to be nine dishes in total and, to be honest, it was a bit hit and miss with some dishes better than others. 
I could have done without the crab sticks, and the teramos lata was lacking in fishiness, but overall it felt more like dining with your relatives than a restaurant. And who is really going to criticise their family cooking? The mains were very good. My friend had the pork souvlaki and I ordered sea bass. Both were served with homemade chips and salad. On the first visit, we drank Keo beer and on the second ordered their house wine, which they make themselves, and was one of the best I have drunk anywhere. Smooth and not too strong. I forgot to ask if they sell it by the bottle to take away, but it is priced at only £16.50 to drink at the table. On our first visit, one of the dishes served was a complimentary plate of olive, olives and pickled vegetables that my friend demolished before I had a chance to take a photo, hence the excuse for another visit and also to make sure my initial impressions had been correct and I wasn't imagining that I was on holiday in Cyprus. Babin on Andes is more than a restaurant. Many people hold birthdays or other parties here when allowed. I was told various Cypriot organisations have monthly get-togethers in the large dining room and there's a Greek night with a special Metsi menu, a band and the inevitable dancing. At the end of the meal, the offer of a free drink and more handshaking with the owner, we left happy. The restaurant was busy on both occasions we visited, a Sunday and Tuesday evening. So I think booking is advisable at other times. The price for two with drinks, including service, was £54. Baninondas can be found at 598 Green Lanes, N135RY, and is open Monday to Saturday from 5.30pm to 10.30pm and Sunday 12.30pm to 10pm. To book, call 020-8886-1010. Visit babinondas.net. Sounds delicious. Now, here's a story for a dark, wet, windy January day or night. The haunted house in North London that inspired a Hollywood horror movie and locals are too scared to walk past. London is no stranger to a good old ghost story with tales of supernatural sightings found all over the capital. But one so-called haunted house in North London in particular is so infamous that it has inspired a popular Hollywood-produced horror movie. The semi-detached house in Brimsdown, Enfield, first caught the media's attention in the late 1970s following reports of poltergeist activity. Police were called to the address at 284 Green Street in 1977 when resident Peggy Hodgson reported seeing furniture seemingly move unaided as well as an unexplained knocking sound. A policewoman who had turned up at the property to investigate claimed to have seen a chair wobble and slide, admitting that she could not determine the cause of the movement. Police officer Caroline Heaps explained that she and another officer 
entered the living room of the house and almost immediately heard the sound of knocking on the wall when Peggy switched off the lights. She said, There were four distinct taps on the wall and then silence. About two minutes later, I heard more tapping, but this time it was coming from a different wall. Again, it was a distinctive peal of four taps. The PC and the neighbours checked the walls, attic and pipes, but could find nothing to explain the knockings. The policewoman added, the lights in the living room were switched off again, and within a few minutes the eldest son pointed to a chair which was standing next to the sofa. I looked at the chair and noticed that it was wobbling slightly from side to side. I then saw the chair slide across the floor towards the kitchen wall. It moved approximately three to four feet and then came to rest. At no time did it appear to leave the floor. I checked the chair but could find nothing to explain how it had moved. More than 30 people later went on record to attest that they'd seen heavy furniture moving on its own or objects being thrown across the room. Some also said they heard knocking sounds and even a gruff voice. It was even reported that two of Peggy's four children, sisters Margaret and Janet, then aged 13 and 11, were spotted levitating several feet off the ground. Meanwhile, the Society for Psychical Research, SPR, members Maurice Gross and Guy Leon Playfair reported hearing curious whistling and barking noises coming from Janet's general direction. The latter of the two researchers later wrote a book called This House is Haunted, the true story of a poltergeist, in which he reaffirmed his belief that the disturbances in the house were being caused by an entity. American demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren were also convinced to that end. But the SPR researchers did question some of the activity while acknowledging that others genuinely had no logical or scientific explanation. The younger of the two sisters had been observed apparently staging some of the activity. Other researchers at the SPR felt that their colleagues had been duped by the girls, who they believed were responsible for hoaxing the whole thing. American stage magician Millbourne Christopher, who carried out his own investigation into the occurrences, also concluded the poltergeist was nothing more than the antics of a little girl who wanted to cause trouble and who was very, very clever. Ventriloquist Ray Allen, meanwhile, put Janet's strange male voice down to vocal tricks. Nevertheless, film director James Wan based his 2016 movie The Conjuring 2, The Enfield Chase, off the experiences of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who, long after sceptics had dismissed the case, stood by their convictions that the Enfield poltergeist was real. Although the house, 
which is today a council accommodation, has not produced any reports of paranormal activity for 40 years, the legend of the Enfield poltergeist still spooks locals today, with many preferring to cross to the other side of the road rather than walk in front of it. Double hit on empty homes. Council tax hike to come a year early. Owners of properties left vacant for a year could be slapped with double council tax bills a year earlier than expected. With 1,000 homes in the borough currently standing vacant, Haringey Council's Cabinet has voted to charge 200% on properties left empty for just 12 months, reduced from the current rule of two years, as a stick to bring them back into use. We are determined to turn empty dwellings into homes, Councillor Dan O'Connell Carlin warned. London is in the grip of a housing crisis. Bringing unoccupied homes into use is part of the solution. There are an estimated 34,000 long-term empty properties across London, more than half the number of homeless families in temporary accommodation, while Haringey Haringey gets 4,400 applications a year from people who are homeless. Empty properties drive up the cost of renting, Councillor Carlin added. Affordable homes are in short supply, so it's fair those who keep them keep properties empty should contri- contribute excuse me to preventing homelessness or maybe find socially responsible ways of providing income. The tough council tax charge would apply from April the first on long term empty properties. There are also plans for a new double tax on furnished second homes and holiday lets for the times they are left vacant to be levied from April 2025. Both measures follow changes in legislation after pressure on the government from many local authorities for more powers to help tackle the housing crisis. There are currently 1,028 properties that Haringey says have been empty for between 12 months and five years, according to its calculations. The council claims the premium could raise an extra 900,000 a year for the town hall coffers. Another 1,067 properties are registered as fully furnished second homes, including 479 with no one living in them for more than a year. High inflation pushing up the cost of living is blamed for more people facing homelessness. The sweeping measures will also help towards council services hit by cuts in the budget. Core government funding for Haringey is estimated to be 143 million less in a year in real terms than it was in 2010. Four arrested after boy 15 is stabbed. Two men and two teenagers have been arrested after a child was stabbed. Emergency services were called to reports of a stabbing near the entrance of Bush Hill Park in Southbury Road at 9.55pm on Saturday, January 20th. Metropolitan Police officers provided first aid to a 15-year-old boy who had been stabbed in the chest. He was taken to hospital where he remains in a life-threatening condition, Scotland Yard said. His family have been informed. The Met is appealing for anyone who witnessed anything to come forward. 
Detective Sergeant Steve Ferguson from the local policing team in Enfield said, a teenage boy has been left seriously injured and an investigation is underway to track down those responsible. Four people, two men and two male youths, have been arrested. They remain in police custody. Officers have recovered CCTV from nearby and a forensic examination has taken place. We would also ask that anyone who has in the area, who was in the area at the time of the incident and saw or heard anything suspicious to contact us immediately. Anyone with any information that could assist detectives is asked to call 101, quoting CAD 6623 forward slash 20 Jan. Information can also be shared online. To remain anonymous, contact Crime Stoppers on 0800 555 111. Well, we have now reached the end of our programme for this week. So thank you for listening. From the team of Chris, Jackie, Angela and Ian on the controls... It's time to say goodbye. Bye. But please remember to turn over the address label in your postal packet. Put the memory stick into the packet in a closed position and return it to us as soon as possible in readiness for the next edition with the red dot facing up. You can now also listen to our podcast by searching for Enfield Talking Newspaper on your favourite podcast app or listen to us on your smart speaker by saying Play Podcast, Enfield Talking Newspaper. And if you would like to join any of the friendly reading team, just let us know. We'd love to have you. Don't forget... You can call Diane de Jersey regarding any help you may require in connection with Enfield Talking Newspaper on 078 854 582. The Enfield Talking Newspaper will be with you again in one week's time.